Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the neuroscience of confirmation bias. If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you want to know more about me or to book a training, go to my website at www.drbconnections.com. This episode was recorded on May 15th, 2020 during a Facebook Live series. Without further ado, let's kick it over to the episode. We are going to be talking today about confirmation bias. This is a super interesting topic for me. I'm not a complete expert in this area, but the neuroscience around confirmation bias is just really, really fascinating. All right, I wanna share with you today about confirmation bias. This is so fascinating and super interesting, and I wanna share the research was from the nature of neuroscience and the article is called confirmation bias in the utilization of other opinion strength. Okay. So what is confirmation bias? People disagree. This is when people disagree or totally disregard information that conflicts with their own past beliefs, opinions, or decisions and choices. So we have opinions, we have decisions that we've made and choices that we've made. And so confirmation bias is when we get new information and we disregard it because it flies counter to what we've already decided or our opinion about it. So people continue to ignore new factual information even when it's clear, directive, and concise. So it's like factual information. I'm just going to give you a fact. The world is round, all right? So if somebody legitimately believes that, no, the world is flat, and we present people, which there there are people who do believe the world is flat, and if we present them with information that, no, really, we know this now, the world is round, they're going to ignore that new information because it's not consistent with what they believe in their opinion. So if I give you a list of facts about anything, you're going to go through that list and pull the facts that fit with your belief system, even if there are facts there that are completely counter to what you already believe. That's what confirmation bias is, that we pick information that supports our already established belief, even though there may be information that is accurate and factual that flies counter to that. So let's talk about how that works in the brain. All right. So like I said, this will, this will happen. What you'll do is you'll grab the information and me too. We'll grab the information that supports our position. 
So the input from someone else, this is what I think is so fascinating and in some ways a little terrifying, but it does explain the hypersocialness of our humanity, which can be a really great thing. But when you think about social media and then you think about confirmation bias, you're going to see why this can be very troubling and a tad scary. So the input that somebody else, someone else's opinion is completely ignored if their opinion is different or or if it flies counter to what you already believe. So if somebody says, oh, hey, Kristen, um, I have facts that the, let's say I'm a, I'm a, I believe that the world is flat, but somebody comes along and says, you know what, Kristen, I have facts that the world really is round. Boom. I, because of confirmation bias and because I'm not going to take on somebody else's information in that situation. And there's going to be very low activity and energy in my brain to activate any information that contradicts what I already believe and know to be true that the world is flat. All right, now let's flip that over. Let's say somebody comes along and they're like, Kristen, guess what? The world really is flat and here's why and here's some information, check it out. And then I say, okay, now my brain is highly activated, highly energized and I'm going to take that information and I'm going to run with it because it confirms my bias about something. It confirms my opinion about something whether or not it's accurate or not. It works both ways. This isn't a just one way or the other. The only one way or the other part of it is that if the information coming at me confirms what I already believe, then I'm highly activated and I just grab onto that and I'm like, let's go, we got this. That's our social media, you know. Let's all gang up on somebody because we all believe one thing and they don't. Or on the flip side, I might get really good, solid information, but I've already made my decision about something. I already decided to buy a house, and then I find out, you know, at the day it's closing escrow that I'm going, that the foundation has a crack in it. Okay, that's a pretty big piece of information. But in, in theory, what confirmation bias would do, if I really love this house and I want this house, I've committed to this house, it is my house, I'm going to be like, oh, it'll be okay. I'm going to ignore that information because it doesn't fit with my previous decision, even though that information is factual and probably going to potentially create a detrimental situation down the road. Now, imagine this is happening with decision makers. So like real decision makers, think about politicians and law enforcement and and people in powerful positions. If they have an established opinion about people, race, politics, any social issue in our world, if there's an already established position, How do we ever really 
make significant changes when confirmation bias is a real thing. Like it does exist. How do we do that? That's a question. Like I, we need to, we need to actively use our knowledge about confirmation bias to fight it against ourselves and to, I think, I don't know if I want to say call it out in other people, but maybe reorganize the way decisions are made that aren't just, you know, popularity contests. If information shared reinforces a decision, a decision maker's belief, then there's this intensity in brain energy. I already shared that. Um, because you get that hot, you know, you get that like, oh yeah, I'm right. That's super cool. The impact of another person's opinion opinion is powerful. If somebody comes along and says, hey, the, the foundation on your house that you're moving into today is cracked, then, and I don't want to believe that. I'm going to just kind of go, yeah, whatever. But if somebody else comes along and says, oh, don't worry about it. It won't be a big deal. It's fine. Like, you know, people have cracked foundations and not, it's not a big deal. Well, a cracked foundation is a big deal. But if somebody comes along and says to you something that you want to hear, you're grabbing onto that and you're like, oh, no, it'll be fine. I'll deal with it later. Yeah, that's a terrible idea. But this is confirmation bias. And it can happen in situations that are way like this is a very individualized sort of situation, this foundation idea. But think about it in terms of our social political environment school environments, all sorts of environments where this, this plays out. So the, um, so people discount facts that undermine past decisions or choices. So maybe I've made a bad decision before in my life and instead of, okay, but I don't know that it was necessarily a bad decision. But I'm going to discount facts later on related to that choice because, again, that's confirmation bias. It confirms that I was right, not what the right information was. So there's a guy named Montague and his researchers, and they're the authors of this, this research that they did that found that bias impacts, this is not a shocker, politics, science, and education. So they did really interesting research around um, pairs of people who were playing a real estate game. And when somebody was there to reinforce their decision, then they made bigger, uh, they took bigger risks in their investments when somebody was there reinforcing that decision that they were going to make. But if somebody was there with contradictory information, like, oh, hey, your foundation of your house, you probably shouldn't do that, then they sort of ignored that information if it didn't match up with what their already established position or opinion was. So that's kind of, you know, I mean, it's interesting, but it's not necessarily relevant to the carrying out of this in in our life, in our lives, in our children's lives, and what we're thinking about. So the brain fails us because it fails to use information when it's contradictory to to what's disconfirming. So it's 
when our brain fails us, when it doesn't allow us to take into account new information in a reasonable way to balance that information against other previous information that we've had. There's an auto bias there already. So when we look at things like that in our political systems, like our law enforcement systems, our education systems, any system, Department of Social Services, Health and Human Services, all of these sort of systems that are built on a belief system of, a, of groups of people, then when we're presented with new information, makes it very, very difficult to change those systems, almost impossible because of confirmation bias. The group supports the disinformation so we continue to go forward with exactly what we've already decided to do and have already done. This is a huge, huge problem. When we fail to use the strength of other information, new information, factual information, when we fail to use that, that if it's counter to our opinion, then we're pretty much screwed. We're, 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 we're messing things up for ourselves. But when the brain gets activated and energized just because somebody comes along and is like, yeah, that's right, yeah, you should do it like that, works very well when others just come along and confirm or support the opinion of whatever the situation is. So yeah, we totally cherry pick. If you don't leave this video with anything, it is say to yourself right now, I cherry pick information and facts that fit my belief system and my opinion, and I need to work on that. I need to be a better critical analytic thinker about information and facts that fly counter to what my belief system is about something. We all do it. I'm not sitting on some high horse saying like, I don't do this, but all of you do. We all do it. This is how the brain functions because we're social beings and we want to connect with others because that feels good. And what does, what about having people confirm how you believe and that you're right? That's really activating in our brain and it does feel good. The problem is we have to be sure that the information is accurate or it becomes terribly harmful and dangerous as we've seen in our history. We cherry pick facts to support our opinions instead of thinking critically and actively discerning all information and making a novel decision. So especially in a group. So let's talk about, let's talk about COVID-19, the novel coronavirus, which has illuminated so many opposing beliefs. This disease is not just a disease. It's become a political tool which is also, in my opinion, terrifying. And But I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Like, I want to dive into that rabbit hole, but I'm not. I'm not going to because I, I feel like, you know, I don't want to be divisive. I just want to deliver facts and information. However, most people do agree that COVID-19 has and will change the world forever. I believe that, uh, you know. And I think it already has changed the world forever. I don't think that that's necessarily bad. I, uh, I'm excited in a lot of ways 
that we're going to make significant alterations in how we do things because this novel coronavirus has shown up in our environment and it has shined a light on so many inequities and disparities. Not that we didn't know of them before, but now the light's shining on them and it makes it much more difficult to ignore them. So that's, that's what one of my um, excitements about this is. So one of the things that people say, though, let's jump over to here. One of the things people I hear say this every single day. Oh, my gosh, kids need to get back to school. You know, kids need to get back to school. That this is, this is the biggest, you know, biggest deal to everyone. And there is a part of me that sort of agrees with that. And then there's a part of me that that completely doesn't agree with that at all. And because I'm a fundamental progressive education believer that education happens all the time and anywhere. And so one of the things that, I, that I've been reading about recently, in particular related to education, is that India... You know, India is a massively populated country and, you know, they've shut down education. But one of the things like some of the things that they're now having to address on a massively activated schedule is meeting the digital divide. Okay, who's got Internet? Who doesn't? How do we connect that? The other thing that India is looking at and visiting, which I think would be really legitimate for the U.S. to look at as well, or California, or wherever, however expansive you want to take it, is reorienting our curriculum. You know, we know every single episode I do is about how the brain works and how we manage and use information in order to make our lives better, effective, fair, enriching, all of those things. So maybe it's time to reorient our curriculum to be matching of what we know about how the brain works and how the body works, how the social emotional impact of experiences has on our health and our well-being. And we, we become more focused. We are a more focused world today. So we don't need the broad sense of education as much as we need a baseline education that then allows people to really be fine-tuned, focused on specializations. I don't know. I'm just telling you, I'm just giving you a little bit of my opinion and how I think about some of these things. I don't have the answers, but that's just, that's just where my brain goes as a person who believes that children learn all the time. I get it. Kids can't be home. They have abusive parents. Let's not send them back to regular school. Let's address the problem, which is the abusive parents. Or kids live in communities that are riddled with violence and poverty and blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah, let's not just send everybody back to school and ignore that. Let's deal with those problems. So I, I am a person who says, yeah, don't don't dance around the band-aid. Let's go dig into the roots of the solution and the real problems. They also, in India, this is the third thing that they're doing, is they're bringing on board a whole different type of teacher. 
you know, we have this teaching system that says, okay, you have to do this, 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 and this in order to be a teacher. And I agree with that. Like, I think there need to be fundamental baseline content and material that people use and learn to become a teacher. However, there's also, and I, you know, I also think that that's the baseline information that people get, and we could specialize and use different kinds of professionals to mentor and teach people things that they need to know when they're actually working in their field of study or their specialization or whatever, even their vocational thing that they do. So, like, I think this uh, this is kind of a funny like this is a cool, funny joke, but I always say, okay, I became a teacher, but what was I thinking? Why didn't somebody tell me I should just be a garbage collector? Because in the grand scheme of things, garbage collectors, one, make way more money than teachers do. You get to get up early and get off work at a reasonable amount of time. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, how terrible to be a garbage collector. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I spent thousands and thousands of dollars to be a teacher and the pay is is not that great. And really, I can do a lot of the things that I still love to do by being a garbage collector and making more money and having great retirement and blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's kind of a funny thing. But I can't, like, I admire more than anything the garbage collector because I have no idea how they bring that truck up to my garbage can and lift it and make it go into the right bucket and then the recycling thing. <laughs> so nobody would ever teach you that in school. You have got to learn that from a person, a mentor, somebody who teaches you that particular skill set. And I really do think that that's super cool. Things similar to farmers, like driving the tractor, running the equipment on a farm. You know, I've been a farmer. I know that stuff is hard and you're not going to ever learn it in a classroom. It wouldn't be practical to teach everybody about those really targeted specific things. So I'm gonna move on from that. I just wanted to make that point about we can reinvent a lot of different things because this novel coronavirus has hit, not unlike the Great Depression, when also a lot of things transformed and became very reorganized. And then we went on to a boom. And now we're being hit again. And so it's a natural reoccurring, you know, history repeats itself. Here we are in that repetitive but modern day where we're going to make changes. It's going to be okay. If you look back at the videos where I talked about traditionalists and Gen Z, then what you see is they're very similar, Gen Z and traditionalists, in their ways of being and ways of thinking because the archetypes of their particular generation are the same. And so they're the artists. And so they're the creators of new things. So our, our Gen Zers are going to be recreating our future during, after, during and after this COVID-19 pandemic. Revealing the inequality and the inequity in our lives in a way, it's right in the forefront of our face and we can't ignore it. Like there's just no way to ignore what's being revealed 
as a result of COVID-19. So here are some things that people are saying and and I'll and I'll share this. Like I'm highly disturbed because this flies counter to my opinion and belief. And so far, you know, I'm trying to take in information about why this is okay, but I'm not getting that message yet. And it maybe it's confirmation bias, but 48 states in the USA are reopening today, including California. And based on all the information that I have learned up to this date, that I that that idea flies counter to what I believe as factual information related to this particular disease. So what people are saying is more than 50% of people believe COVID-19 is a high, high threat to the world. All right. So that means more than more than half the people in the world believe that COVID-19, the novel coronavirus is a high threat to the world. 19% of people think that the danger of COVID-19 is going to be over soon. Done. Out. 46% of people, so almost half the people in the world, don't think that it won't be over anytime soon. So what does that mean in terms of confirmation bias? So what that means in terms of confirmation bias is that there's a lot of different information out there. And depending on what you believe right now, you are going to cherry pick for facts unconsciously unless you consciously say, hey, I understand this thing called confirmation bias. My brain wants to be consistent and reaffirm my already established opinions. However, I need to slow my brain down and use the critical thinking parts of my brain that allow me to give the same weight to all the facts and maybe consider making a different decision. Now, that's what confirmation bias is. That's how it works. I'm not going to tell you whether you should feel one way or feel another way. I'm just saying that you need to think your way out of your feelings sometimes and consider a lot of information even when it doesn't support your previously established opinion. I hope that this was helpful and interesting and understanding. If it was, please share, like, tell your networks to join in. I love you. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now, go leave a life print.